Cavaliers are the mounted fighters of 5e Dungeons & Dragons, excelling at combat on horseback, or camelback, or giant toadback, or any other weird mount you guys want to choose. Taking advantage of enhanced mobility and focusing enemy attention on themselves as a tank. But Cavaliers are a bit of a black sheep among martial builds, with features that take a bit of work to really take advantage of. As someone that has had a few Cavalier builds come across his game table, I am eager to get into today's episode. Thematically, Cavaliers are mounted combat specialists, your typical story of fantasy knights in shining armor on horseback trope. Mechanically, Cavaliers are a fighter subclass or martial archetype, and sadly one of the weakest ones. You're not getting superiority dice, an arcane shot, or the divine smite of the paladin, but with some creative building they can make for a stylish and powerful tank character. At their fundamentals, they are still fighters, masters of martial combat, and there are times and places where charging in on horseback is not only the best strategic option, but it's also a pretty glorious and cinematic one. Legendary games have been won on horseback, but when it comes down to the actual mechanics of riding a mounted creature, I see a lot of players get confused, justifiably so. A mount is any creature with a size larger than you that's willing to let you ride them. When you ride a horse, mule, camel, etc, etc, you are riding a controlled mount, and basically any pack animal or other domesticated creature is considered a controlled mount. Controlled mounts are easy to use, but don't do a whole lot exactly. Essentially, your movement speed increases because you get to use your controlled mount's movement instead of your own, and they can't take the attack action or really do anything else in combat other than serve to move you around faster. A controlled mount can do three things in combat. The dash, disengage, and dodge actions. Most of the time you'll either be using their action to dash and get into combat faster, or dodge just to keep themselves better protected. When your mount is a bit more intelligent though, like a dragon or a griffin, it's considered to be an intelligent mount, which gets a lot more complicated. An intelligent mount is its own independent character, it just happens to have you on its back. It can make the attack action, it can use its own place in initiative, and it's just generally not under your control in most combat situations. You can't force it to do anything, and you're really just along for the ride. The dividing lines between a controlled mount and an independent mount are fuzzy, but generally if it's a player character, is a wild animal, has no training, or has four or more intelligence, it should usually be considered an independent mount. As a 5th edition fighter subclass, most of your features actually will be coming from the fighter class, which we did do a video on if you would like to go check that out. There you can also find info on the other martial archetypes like Eldritch Knight, Arcane Archer, Battlemaster, Echo Knight, Purple Dragon Knight, Psy Warrior, or Rune Knight. When you choose this archetype at 3rd level, you gain proficiency in one of the following skills of your choice. Alternatively, you can learn one language of your choice. As with any class feature that grants an extra skill proficiency or a language proficiency, you're basically just choosing whatever you don't already have. In most cases, it's here to give you animal handling proficiency since that's not typically picked for fighters and it's one you'll really want to pick up if you're going around doing mounted combat. Starting at third level, your mastery as a rider becomes apparent. You have advantage on saving throws made to avoid falling off your mount. If you fall off your mount and descend no more than 10 feet, you can land on your feet if you're not incapacitated. Finally, mounting or dismounting a creature costs you only 5 feet of movement rather than half your movement speed. The strength or weakness of this feature depends on how much attention your DM pays to mounted combat rules. 
For a lot of players, falling off your mount wasn't even something you were really worried about. The reason it's here as a full feature is this bit of mounted combat rules that we'll throw right up here. There are certainly other fringe situations where your DM might try to knock you off your horse, but this is definitely the main one. Being forced to land prone can be nasty in some situations. Prone people can be punished with heavy attack pressure if they're out on the front line, and as a cavalier, that's probably where you're going to be. Still, it's only a DC 10 save, and unless your DM is really trying to get you shoved down or knocked prone, it's going to be a rather rare occurrence. Overall, this feature is pretty darn weak. It basically guarantees you'll be able to stay mounted, so you could argue that's necessary, but it's not a major benefit regardless. Funnily enough, I have found the second half of this feature to be way more useful as reducing the amount of speed required from half your movement speed to five just to get on your mount, that's a pretty big change. Also starting at third level, you get Unwavering Mark. When you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack, you can mark the creature until the end of your next turn. This effect ends early if you are incapacitated or you die, or if someone else marks the creature. While it is within 5 feet of you, a creature marked by you has disadvantage on any attack roll that doesn't target you. In addition, if a creature marked by you deals damage to anyone other than you, you can make a special melee weapon attack against the marked creature as a bonus action on your next turn. You have advantage on the attack roll, and if it hits, the attack weapon deals extra damage to the target equal to half your fighter level. Regardless of the number of creatures you mark, you can make this special attack a number of times equal to your strength modifier minimum of once, and you regain all expended uses of it when you finish a long rest. Your other third level feature is basically an improved challenge, but in a way that strangely doesn't mesh well with what would otherwise be an ideal cavalier strategy. When you hit somebody, you get to mark them out and make it an absolute pain for them to attack anybody but you because it gets disadvantage on attacks, and you threaten to smack them back with a bonus action attack on your next turn. This is an excellent tank tech, but the extra attack with a damage bonus and the imposed disadvantage only really works if you stay in melee range of them. Normally, you'd want to take advantage of the freedom of movement that a mount grants you, but this really shifts your style of combat towards charging in and sticking onto your opponent for all of the damage potential. The flip side of this, though, is that it does literally nothing if your enemy had no other targets in the first place. All that punishing tech for hitting targets other than you means nothing if the rest of your party is ranged and keeping back from the front lines anyway. It's also worth noting that this ability doesn't use your reaction, so you're free to make a reaction attack on top of all of this, giving you a fair share of attacks even while using a shield. Although I will say, I did have a character at my table play a cavalier and he wanted to be someone that protected the royalty that was also in the party, and I have to say that was pretty thematically appropriate in that very specific instance. Very specific instance. With Warding Maneuver at 7th level, you learn to fend off strikes directed at you, your mount, or other creatures nearby. If you or a creature that you see within 5 feet of you is hit by an attack, you can roll 1d8 as a reaction if you're wielding a melee weapon or a shield. Roll the die and add the number rolled to the target's AC against that attack. If the attack still hits, the target has resistance against the attack's damage. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your constitution modifier, minimum of once, and you regain all expended uses of it when you finish a long rest. The 7th level ability is arguably the Cavalier's signature ability and is a huge benefit, and really cements you in as the tank protector character of the party. Even if the roll doesn't stop an attack entirely, it'll still have the damage dealt by it, meaning so long as you have a healthy con modifier to use this feature multiple times per day, you'll be able to blunt the biggest attacks your enemies can throw at you. 
At 10th level, you become a master of locking down your enemies. Creatures provoke an opportunity attack from you when they move 5 feet or more while within your reach. And if you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, the target speed is reduced to 0 until the end of the current turn. Similar to the cheesy Polearm Master build, Hold the Line keeps your enemy locked in combat with you, and since you're the tank, that's exactly where you want them to be. This almost completely guarantees that once you hit an enemy in melee, that you and that enemy will be fighting until one of you dies. With Ferocious Charger, starting at 15th level, you can run down your foes whether you're mounted or not. If you move at least 10 feet in a straight line right before attacking a creature and you hit it with the attack, the target must succeed on a strength saving throw, DC 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength modifier, or be knocked prone. You can use this feature only once on each of your turns. Sadly, I think Ferocious Charger is another dud feature. Knocking a creature prone isn't that hard to do at lower levels, and as a 15th level feature, it feels like a... <laughs> it feels like a slap in the face, kind of. It also runs counterintuitively to the rest of the Cavalier's features, since getting the most value out of this feature would involve charging and retreating repeatedly. It doesn't have a size limitation, though, so you could theoretically knock things like dragons and giants prone with this, but the odds of such things failing strength saves are usually pretty low. Starting at 18th level, you get Vigilant Defender, which means you respond to danger with extraordinary vigilance. In combat, you get a special reaction that you can take once on every creature's turn except your turn. You can use this special reaction only to make an opportunity attack, and you can't use it on the same turn that you take your normal reaction. Honestly though, Vigilant Defender is a pretty cool subclass capstone at 18th level that synergizes really well with your 10th level feature, Hold the Line. Because you now essentially get to opportunity attack every enemy within range, you also get to lock those enemies in place with you. Basically, once you touch an enemy, they're stuck to you for the rest of the fight. Ultimately, Cavaliers are a weird subclass. With the initial pretense of being the mounted combat specialist, they do their best not to take advantage of the one real benefit of a mount, which is their mobility. However, there's still a powerful character build to be had here, if built correctly. When you build a Cavalier, you are building a tank. This means a high bonus to strength for a high attack modifier and a bit of damage. Then even more so than other tanks, you care about constitution. Because your arguably best feature, Warding Maneuver, gives you a number of uses equal to your Constitution Ability modifier, you really want it as high as possible, not to mention all your other features revolve around making sure you take the hits for your allies, so you're going to need every hit point. If you're trying to pour your ability score increases into your raw stats over feats, I'd recommend trying to hit max Constitution over max Strength, since the Constitution will do better than the odd Strength score increases. Beyond that, Dexterity has some value since the saves not to fall off your horse are Dexterity saves, but you don't need it that much outside of that, I don't think. I just advise against making it a dump stat and getting at least a flat zero to that as the modifier. As with most fighters, all the mental ability scores can really be dump stats for you other than the odd ability checks. If you have the room, Wisdom gives you the most value simply for its improvement to your perception checks. It should come as no surprise to you that the Cavalier as a fighter with every armor proficiency should be taking heavy armor and a shield. You are a tank and you want that AC as high as possible. For early levels this usually means taking up chainmail and then working your way up to full play armor as soon as possible. As for weapons, I must sadly inform you that the iconic lances are probably not the best option. You make each weapon attack at disadvantage with a lance when they're within 5 feet melee range of you and the Cavalier wants to get stuck in and stay in the middle of combat. 
you'll have one initial attack with a glorious lance charge attack, and then fumble around for the rest of combat wondering what to do with it. It's boring, but I'd recommend you take a flail, longsword, or either one of the one-handed 1d8 martial weapons alongside a shield for an optimal combination of AC and damage output. I'd also specifically avoid using two weapon fighting since your unwavering mark feature that grants additional attacks relies on you using your bonus action. Under the barding rules, you can get armor for your mount at four times the cost. This means that, yes, if you have enough cash, you can buy your noble steed full plate armor. These armors grant the mount the same AC values as they would you, they just cost more and usually need to get them custom made at a blacksmith. I recommend getting scale mail for your mount until you can afford plate. It's relatively cheaper, scale mail barding usually goes for around 200 gold pieces, and it would grant a warhorse a respectable AC of 15. There isn't a mounted combat specific fighting style, which is really a shame. And I'm sad to say that the right answer for a cavalier's fighting style is probably the boring old defense. Plus one AC is a big deal, and this is a tank character after all, very specifically trying to draw all the aggro that they can, and so you will need as much AC as you can get. If someone knows of a really cool homebrew mounted combat fighting style that someone has made, please tell me down in the comments. I want to know all about it. We can't talk about any Cavalier build without talking about what is arguably their must-have feat option. Many of the best fighter feats just don't work for the Cavalier, but the Mounted Combatant feat was basically tailor-made for them. Obviously. Mounted Combatants get these three things, and all of this combines to make mounts a lot more viable and a heck of a lot more deadly. Assuming you're fighting a medium creature or smaller, you basically get permanent advantage on your attacks against them, and it also makes the Lance build a real possibility since at worst you'd be making attacks normally with it, in which case I'd recommend taking Great Weapon Fighting and Great Weapon Master as well. Pure advantage on melee attack goodness is hard to come by and can validate making a mounted build on its own. So obviously, just like anyone else, I definitely have my feelings on uh, the Cavalier, but I would say if you just want to build this character, go for it, because it's certainly viable enough. It's far from the worst build you could make in the game, and everyone that I've seen at my table kind of loves it, so... Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new content like this every week. And if you're going to be building a Cavalier, I would love to know about them down in the comments. Thanks again for watching. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.